2: It's Monday, August 5th, 2019, and you're listening to Inquiring Minds. I'm Andre Viscontis.
1: And I'm Kishore Hari. Each week we bring you a new, in-depth exploration of the space where science, politics, and society collide. We endeavor to find out what's true, what's left to discover, and why it all matters.
2: You can find us online at inquiring.show, on Twitter at inquiringshow, and on Facebook. You can also get an ad-free version of this show by supporting us at patreon.com slash inquiringminds. And you can subscribe to the show on iTunes or any other podcasting app. Do you celebrate Shark Week?
1: I don't, only because of how ridiculous it's become. It like <laughs> keeps positioning like these like ultimate shark predators, like the Megalodon and like, you know, all these kind of like half fictional shark beasts that are chasing us around. And um, every shark scientist I've ever talked to is like, that's not how it goes. Sharks aren't that bad.
2: Yeah, that's what I hear, too. And I hear people that, you know, go and swim with the sharks. Uh, you know, I remember one time we were in uh, Tahiti and there was like this place where you could literally swim out and there were a whole bunch of reef sharks and it was not scary at all. Yeah, <laughs> those, aren't, those aren't the scary ones. But
1: I, I went scuba diving and there, there are sharks there. You know, we live here in San Francisco. There's sharks that come in and swim around Al- Alcatraz and they don't do anything to anyone.
2: No, so um, I wanted to get to the bottom of sort of what where we are in terms of the relationship between humans and sharks, because of course the media uh, often portray the sharks as just feasting on humans, uh, and so I came across a book by a documentary filmmaker named William McKeever. Uh, he's a, an ocean conservationist, and he wrote a book called "Emperors of the Deep: Sharks, the Ocean's Most Mysterious, Most Misunderstood, and Most Important." guardians. And it was a completely different view of sharks that you usually get uh, from the media. And one of the things that he, you know, straight out talks about in the book is the fact that we kill an enormous number of sharks compared with how many human beings are actually attacked by sharks.
1: What does enormous mean?
2: Humans killed. Okay. So according to one of his statistics, um, in 2018, four humans were killed by sharks and humans killed 100 million sharks. Uh,
1: yeah, that seems like a lopsided uh, set of statistics there. That is insane.
2: I mean, I didn't even know there were 100 million sharks in the ocean. I mean, that just seems like a massive number.
1: Yeah, that's ridiculous. And there must be all sorts of reasons why, like unintended reasons, like fishermen catching them in nets to uh, people eating sharks for soup and whatnot, and uh, a host of other reasons beyond that.
2: Absolutely. So let's take a short break and we'll find out more about our relationship with sharks in my interview with William McKeever. William McKeever, welcome to Inquiring Minds.
0: Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you for inviting me.
2: So you start out the book talking about your relationship with the ocean. And whereas a lot of kids would be very frightened uh, if they were picked up by a wave and washed ashore, uh, you seem to have a different reaction.
0: Yeah, I did. And I, and I think it was because, um, we had these wonderful family vacations starting at a very young age and I was very close with my dad and he loved the ocean. And, uh, he actually used to like, uh, he was actually a former professional football player and he liked to go in the surf and see if the waves could actually knock him down, (laughs) which was unusual for most people. And so, you know, I was watching him in the water and, uh, you know, you, you look at your dad and you think, well, he must know what he's doing. He, he is my dad. And so I never really developed any fear of the ocean. And in, in fact, it evolved quite the opposite. I, I grew to love the ocean. And every summer we would go to the beach and um, I just loved it and uh, I had a great time. And when I was big enough to, to surf on my own, you know, I just uh, just having the experience of being in the water, the wind, the waves it was fabulous.
2: So a lot of people who love the ocean don't like sharks, (laughs) because if they spend time in the ocean, one of the fears is that they will get bitten by a shark. So how did you end up having a very different view? Yeah,
0: well, I, you know, I have to say that uh, I was initially, uh, when I saw Jaws, I fell hook, line and sinker for this myth that sharks are are dangerous that they're somehow lurking out there they can't wait to get a bather and uh and uh, an attack and so i was while i love the ocean i went in the ocean i was always had one eye open and uh, what happened to me was i stumbled on a shark tournament and uh, these are events where fishermen go out to catch the biggest shark And they bring them back and they weigh them. And if you catch the heaviest one, you win the prize money, which can be several hundred thousand dollars. But what happens to the sharks is that they are literally just chopped up and thrown into the landfill. And when I saw these beautiful creatures on the dock being dismembered, it made me so angry. So I decided to go on a mission and find out more about these sharks tournaments and more about sharks and I started to talk to scientists, and, uh, I, and I actually decided to go diving myself and figure out what would happen to me if I encountered them. And uh, at the end of this journey that, that lasted two years, I came to the conclusion I had been completely wrong about sharks, and, and so is really the general perception of sharks as dangerous. And, uh, I, 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 you know, I, I love talking about it because – I want to tell people you really don't have to worry about sharks. It is the, the more dangerous thing is actually drowning or, or getting hit in a car on your way to the beach. So this uh, one of the things I'm on a mission to change this perception of sharks is dangerous creatures. You have to respect them, of course. Obviously, they're wild animals, but uh, they are not interested in human prey.
2: What do you think is the kind of source of this major difference between the way we approach sharks versus say, whales? So you know, a lot of people feel very, you know, reverential when it comes to whales. Is it because whales don't have a lot of angular features the way sharks do? And we kind of interpret these angular features as being signaling, you know, danger and, and whales are kind of cuter? Or is there something else going on?
0: yeah that's a great question. And I think uh, that whales and dolphins are they're they're cute. They can be cuddly, they're like us. They're mammals, and they bear live young and and they're highly intelligent. And uh, we have a lot in common with them. Sharks are obviously fish, and uh, they are apex predators. And while the whales and the dolphins are eating plankton and fish, the sharks out there have a mission, and that is to, Ah, uh, control the populations of some of the, the biggest fish in the ocean, from tuna, swordfish, marlin. So they're, you know, they're 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 tough fish, and they have a they have their mission. But at the same time, uh, we need to understand that they're they are not interested in us. Uh, if there is any kind of uh, a, an attack it is in the vast majority of cases mistaken identity and i think that the society uh, particularly the media has built up these encounters to the point that uh, they they've created this uh, this really myth that uh, sharks are are dangerous when uh, they're they're really not uh, from the standpoint that if you if you actually encounter a shark the shark is going to swim away they're just not interested
2: and, you know, you, you mentioned in your book that, of course, the number of shark attacks that happen on a yearly basis, or even, you know, over the last 100 years is really pretty small. But I didn't realize how great the difference is between the number of humans that sharks kill, say, every year, or you'd have to even look back, you know, 10s of years, versus the number of sharks that humans kill every year.
0: Yeah, it's it's really r- remarkable. And and when I started this journey and, and I talked to the people who uh, run the international shark attack file down in Florida, who keep all these statistics going back for several hundred years, you know, on average, there's maybe uh, 50 or 55 uh, attacks. But even the word attacks is a misnomer. They're really no more than bites. And, th- and that's not being politically correct. That is literally the destri- description of it. It's like uh, being bitten by a dog. Uh, people... End up, uh, you know, ne- needing a few stitches, and and, and that's really it. And uh, if you look at the the worst case scenario fatalities, when you consider that there are literally hundreds of millions of people around the world swimming, there are three million surfers in the United States, and out of all of that, there is less than one person killed in the United States and around the world. Last year, there were four people killed. Now. I think it's very important to contrast that with the number of sharks that humans kill. And uh, here I was flabbergasted as well that uh, there's, uh, for various reasons, there are 100 million sharks killed every year. And sharks have a lot more to fear from humans than the other way around.
2: I mean, I didn't even know there were 100 million sharks in the oceans, (laughs) let alone that we are able to kill that many of them.
0: Yeah, the the bounty of of the ocean is is incredible, and the pelagic species, that is, the open water species of tuna, sharks. I mean, the the world is really an ocean planet. Seventy percent of the Earth is, is is really oceans, and so we have these magnificent creatures. Uh, out there that we just don't really understand or are, are, are out there by the literally the just the tons and tons and thousands and uh, millions of them. And uh, but at the same time, w- the realization came to me that humans are, are not being responsible when it comes to uh, managing the species that are out there. Uh, and sharks and tuna and so many of these animals are just being overfished way too much.
2: So one of the things you talk about is how hard it is to actually quantify how many sharks there are out there, as opposed to like, you know, we kind of seem to know how many snow leopards there are, which also seems like a hard problem to solve. Like, why is it so much more difficult to even get a a, a really good estimate of the number of sharks out there?
0: Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's something that people are trying to come up with models. And it's just so hard because it's it's another world out there. We, we cannot just go out there and count. Uh, these sharks are moving uh, on a daily basis. Some of them will travel anywhere from 90 to 100 miles each day. So keeping track of them, where they are, how many, and obviously they roam the world from the surface down to 3,000 feet. And uh, with the hundreds of millions of square miles of the Pacific Ocean, we just can't count how many are out there. We, we know they're there, but it's, it, it's been impossible for us to know.
2: So in your book, you focus on four species of sharks. Can you, can you tell us what they are and, and why those species?
0: Well, the, the, the big four, as I call them, are the ones that are the big, strong sharks that are the apex sharks they are at the very top of the food chain. Now, there are over 500 species of sharks, and most sharks are actually uh, quite small. Like a dogfish might be two or three feet long and, and harmless, like a nurse shark that you that you see many times around coral reefs. So I focused on the big ones that, that people think about when they go swimming. These are the ones that are big enough that um, they they you have to be respectful of them. And, of course, the biggest one is the great white shark. And that was the one in the movie Jaws that got everybody's attention. And that's so that's the the biggest and and, uh, and strongest of the of the hunter sharks. And then the next one is the Mako shark, which is a magnificent hunter. It's the fastest shark in the ocean, goes 45 miles an hour. Sometimes some people can have uh, estimated they go as much as 60 miles an hour. They're fantastic hunters. And then there's um uh, the hammerhead shark that is the one that uh, has of course that beautiful dorsal fin they get to be quite large 12 14 feet and then finally the tiger sharks which are named tigers because of the stripes on them and uh, they play a very important role in the oceans which is keeping the oceans clean and and helping to maintain the ecosystem so they all play their own individual role they're the biggest and the strongest and I th- the ones that have the most interest and the ones that, frankly, scientists have been uncovering amazing things about these animals just in the last few years. We've been in a golden age of discovery for the last uh, 10 years or so. And, and I wanted to put in the book all these amazing things about these sharks to make people realize how fabulous they are.
2: Yeah, so l- let's talk about one great white in particular, uh, Mary Lee.
0: Yes, so Mary Lee was... Uh, Tagged here along the East Coast a few years ago, and uh, she uh, it surprised everybody from the from the very beginning. She uh, traveled from the Cape, uh, where she was probably born, all the way down to Florida in the winter, and then in the summer she would she would come back, and uh, sometimes she would head way out to sea, a uh, thousand miles off the coast, and then she would come back. So she made these uh, tremendous travels, and. This was the first shark that we really knew what was going on, and she ended up having a Twitter account, um, and uh, tens of thousands of people started following her, and whenever she would uh, come up to the surface and, and send out a ping, people got excited, and they realized that you know, she wasn't very far from the coast. Uh, a lot of these great white sharks will literally come right up to the beach, and many times people don't even know that they're there. Uh, but they are. And of course, as I said, people have n- have nothing to fear. They're not out there searching for humans. They they are out there doing their job and and looking for their primary prey, which are, which are seals. So but anyway, Mary Lee has just been a uh, a, a fabulous find and, and people can really uh, follow what she's doing. And it, it's been a, a great experience for people who are beginning to understand or want to understand about sharks.
2: So you also talk about um, the hammerhead shark. And, you know, it seems like such an odd creature. (laughs) You know, we think, you know, sharks are so ancient in terms of our evolutionary history. uh, And the hammerhead just like seems really bizarre. So unfish-like in a lot of ways. Uh, Tell us a little bit about how it developed or how it evolved.
0: Yeah, that's a a great question. You know, hammerheads um, are really unique. The, The sharks have been around for 450 million years. They're actually uh, predated trees. And uh, they've just been uh, a remarkable species. Now, hammerheads broke off from sharks only about 20 million years ago. And when they did, they developed remarkable adaptations. Now, uh, as you know, the the most important thing about them is their head, that T-shaped head. And uh, people wondered uh, about uh, how that what sort of things were uh, sort of developments they had. And one of the things they've discovered is that by having the eyes perched at the very end of the T, these sharks actually have a 360 degree view of everything going on around them with a with a 3D capability of what's going on. And they have two noses so that uh, being widely spaced apart, Um, They are fabulous at detecting uh, prey. And then, of course, they have the ability to sense uh, the electrical field of fish around them. They have something called electroreceptors, which are in their head, and they can detect tiny uh, electrical signals from from fish. And uh, one of the remarkable things I learned is that as the hammerheads uh, patrol along the sandy bottom, uh, many times they're in in search of uh, stingrays, and the stingrays hide from the, the hammerheads in the sand, out of view, and yet the hammerheads are able to find them buried in the sand because of that electrical signal that the stingray sends out. So between their 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 sense of smell, their their vision, their electroreception, they're their fabulous hunters. And, um that capability makes them really, very unique in the oceans,
2: so a lot of us, you know, as you mentioned at the top of the show, think about dolphins and whales in part because of their very rich social lives. and And, in fact, you know, they have big brains. They have uh, neurons in their brains that. Uh, are, are similar to the kinds of neurons that we have that are involved in social interactions called von Economo neurons, these long spindle-like neurons. And so we kind of see them as, as, as remarkable in that way. Um, but reading your book, I was surprised at, at how intricate the social lives of sharks are, too.
0: Yes, the, um, I think that's been a relatively new development. People always thought of sharks as uh, lone hunters and um, interested, again, in, in human prey. And, you know, we know that that's not the case that uh, they're interested in fish items. Uh, Being around 450 million years, that is something that uh, is built into their DNA. Humans are a relatively new development just in the last 200,000 years, so they're not designed to be interested in human prey. In, In fact, we're kind of bony and scrawny. Uh, sharks want to eat fish that and and prey that is rich in uh, fatty acids, so particularly seals that have blubber. And the sharks rely on that when they make their uh, travels thr- throughout the ocean. So but anyway, getting back to um, to sharks and, and the humans, um, you know humans just uh, don't appreciate the fact that the sharks are are, are out there making a living and uh, we're just not on that. On that prey item, and so the sharks have been developing uh, social connections. And there was a study done in the Bahamas where uh, a scientist by the name of Tristan uh, Goodrich uh, started looking at lemon sharks. And uh, one of the things he noticed was they actually st- were hanging out together. So he did a number of uh, experiments, and he was able to determine that the sharks actually like to hang out with each other, much in the way that school children at a school will uh like to be with the same uh compatriot uh, sharks do the same thing and it was interesting um in the in the mangroves as an example uh in the bahamas those are the areas where they're, they're these very thick roots and uh, sustain a lot of fish life and the mangroves the sharks uh the lemon sharks when they're growing up have to be worried at high tide about uh, some prey predators actually coming after them, and uh, so what they like to do is uh, hide in the mangroves, and they do that uh, with their friends. They they hang out together and uh, they hide at, at high tide, and then at low tide uh, they disperse and uh, and do this on a regular basis. And the sharks have been seen to hang out with the same shark uh, over extended periods of times, actually build relationships. And the other interesting development was that sharks are actually learning from each other. The more mature sharks can send a message to the juvenile sharks about how to hunt, how to uh, how to uh, behave, and that is something that was uh, again a, a shock, and it it was uh, totally upended this view of sharks being solitary, not very intelligent. Obviously, if you're communicating behavior and uh you're socializing there has to be significant intelligence and it's actually not too surprising to 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 come to that conclusion because sharks are apex predators apex predators have to be smart to survive and and dolphins uh, are highly intelligent and they're maybe not at the very tippy top with uh, with sharks they're still up there and and they're very smart and so when sharks and dolphins and you look at other apex predators They have to be smart to survive.
2: If there's something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals, BetterHelp Online Counseling can help. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who are specialized in issues such as depression, anxiety, relationships, trauma, anger, family conflicts, LGBT matters, grief, self-esteem, and more. Connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. And get help at your own time and at your own pace. Anything you share is confidential, and it's so convenient you can schedule secure video or phone sessions as well as chat and text with your therapist. If for some reason you're not happy with your counselor, though, you can request a new one at any time for no additional charge. Best of all, it's a truly affordable option. Inquiring Minds listeners even get 10% off your first month with the discount code MINDS. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com slash minds. Then simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love. That's betterhelp.com slash minds. So, you know, we, we kind of think about, uh, maybe because of Jaws, uh, maybe because of a lot of other portrayals, as, as you mentioned, as sharks as solitary animals. Uh, so is there any evidence that they kind of, you know, p- create families or, or sort of create connections that um, go beyond, you know, once they're because you kind of think of them as, as migrating and, and kind of moving around. And as you mentioned, Mary, Mary Lee, uh, went very wide distances, do they, do they keep any kind of social connections over time? Or is it a sim- a simply a matter of when they encounter other members of their species, they might interact with them, but generally don't foster long term relationships?
0: Yeah, there have been a number of studies that indicate that sharks, some species do develop relationships that last over an extended period of time. And I mentioned the study that was done in the Bahamas where lemon sharks were seen congregating, hanging out. They had done this for years. And on the other end of the globe in Australia, a scientist there found the same behavior with a species of shark called a port- Jackson shark, and uh, they migrate from Australia to Tasmania and back. And um, when they are monitored and these sharks are, are tagged, um, they can actually determine that they're hanging out with specific sharks that are similar in, in age and sex, and that uh, these these relationships because sharks are long lived. Some species can live as as long as twenty to twenty five years, and in fact, the great white shark has been determined to live as much as seventy years. That uh, that these sharks are are developing relationships that last uh, for several years. Now, one of the issues is, you know, what sort of connections do they have? And science is still trying to to figure this out. Uh, One uh, question mark is about great white sharks. Now. Uh, white sharks, when they're born, uh, do not have a mother to, that sticks around, that teaches them how to hunt. Uh, when they're born, they are fully formed, ready to hunt, and they survive on their own, and they have to figure it out. And uh, they learn by trial and error uh, to survive. There's no mother to help them like a dolphin mother. And uh, what happens, though, is that while they have a very different upbringing, there's still uh, uh, now some questions raised about the relationships they develop with other great white sharks. And probably the best example is what's been determined uh, or found is the great white shark cafe. Now, uh, to back up, in the Pacific Ocean, there is a place uh, midway between Hawaii and California where the sharks go every year and they congregate there, and they spend several months together. And uh, scientists are trying to figure out why. Now, perhaps there could be something going on with mate selection, uh, maybe some hunting, but it seems unlikely that it's just hunting, that there's some relationship developing going on. It's too difficult at this point to draw any definitive conclusions. But the fact that a great white shark is going to migrate over a 1,000 miles uh, and spend all that energy to meet up with other great white sharks, uh, there's something going on. We just don't know yet as
2: humans. Yeah, it's so interesting to think of them having an annual conference. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, and uh, it's, it's been a, uh, uh, you know, kind of funny to think about how they regularly go to this cafe to hang out together. Uh, this is a part of the ocean where the water is particularly clear, so they can see each other and uh, they can hang out and uh, perhaps some of the females are checking out the males and vice versa. And uh, some of the males in this cafe have, have been seen kind of showing off. They will do what are called bounce dives. They'll go down to a thousand feet, come right back up, go back down again, you know, showing off and saying, look, look how strong I am. Look what I can do. Um so it's fascinating behavior, and again, the scientists are trying to tease it all
2: out. Yeah, it's like going to shark con.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: So, right. what do we know about how they select their mates?
0: Well, it, it's a um, it's a process that uh, it's it's fascinating, and and each species is is a little different. Obviously, I talked about great white sharks, but hammerheads uh, have a very unique uh, way of of selecting mates, and. Ah, uh, hammerhead sharks are the only sharks that uh, school in vast numbers. And this has been seen uh, around the world. Um, one that's got, gotten a lot of attention is the schooling that takes place in the Cocos Islands off of the west coast of of South America. And here the uh, the great or the the hammerheads congregate And uh, the females will move into the center of these schools. And uh, the big, strong, dominant females will will get literally right in the center, push out the less dominant females. And then the males are on the outside, and they they know those dominant females are in the middle, and they will fight their way in to to meet uh, the females and mate with them. So it's really a uh, a fight on both sides to to show dominance, to to get into the key positions. And uh, when that happens, the dominant males and females are able to mate. And that schooling behavior has has been uh, just recently observed. And uh, so that's that's obviously one very interesting example. Uh, then there are other examples where nurse sharks will uh, be on the lookout for uh, for females. Uh, and by the way, um, sharks and humans have quite a bit in common when it comes to reproducing. The, there is internal fertilization, unlike uh, other fish, which lay eggs and they're fertilized by the male. The uh, the female shark is like a human female. It takes 20 years to reach maturity to then be able to mate and to carry the young internally where they develop and are born alive. And uh, it's, a, it's a process very similar to our own. Uh, in any event, the nurse sharks that are uh, out there uh, mating. Um, you now the males will be out on the alert, and uh, when they when they find a, a female that they like, they will uh, make their their uh, attention known, and uh, they will try to get the uh, the the female in, into position. Anyway, it's uh, each one uh, of the the five hundred species of shark has has a very different uh, strategy. But to me, it's all fascinating how how they do it. And of course, they've been doing this for 450 million years. So they're doing something right.
2: Yeah, so it's so interesting. So tell us a little bit about your personal encounters with some of these animals.
0: Yeah, so I uh, went to South Africa to dive with a great white shark. And it was a great thrill for me. And I went into a cage and uh, I went down off of Seal Island where these great white sharks are hunting seals and some of these sharks can get as long as, uh, 12, 15 feet easily. Some will grow as much as 20 feet. And, uh, it was, as I said, really exciting to to see these sharks up close and personal. And, uh, once I was in the the water with them, I realized that there was really nothing to fear. They were not interested in me and the cage and uh, they were just uh sort of very curious and checking things out and after the the dive i realized that i didn't need a cage and i came back and uh i dove at a number of places but really the turning point for me was when i went shark diving in in florida off of the jupiter inlet and uh i went with a diving operation they don't use any cage and you just jump over the side and uh, they chum to attract the sharks and uh, sort of catch as catch can. And uh, when I was in the water without a cage, uh, three bull sharks uh, showed up. And uh, bull sharks are very big, stocky, robust sharks. And they're one of the actually the only shark that can live in fresh and, and salt water. But in any event, they they have a reputation as as being they can be aggressive uh, and you know they're uh, they're they're very strong. They like to check things out. So here I am, totally defenseless, with three bull sharks around me, and uh, they were just curious, and um, I could tell they were not interested and uh, in me, uh, uh, other than just being curious who was this interloper. And I got back on the boat afterwards, and I just thought, wow. Um, You know, I have great respect for sharks. Believe me, I'm not saying that people can go up and and, uh, cuddle them and pet them. That's not the case. You have to respect these. These are wild animals. But at the same time, they are just not uh, the dangerous man-eating killers that the media makes them out to be. And uh, if there is an attack, um, it's usually mistaken identity. And uh, so, again, people at the beach that really don't have anything to fear and so that experience I had with the bull sharks was really a, a turning point for me. Since then, I've had dives with uh, Caribbean reef sharks, uh, the same, same thing. I was uh, about 40 feet down. There were probably a dozen sharks swimming all around me, and uh, I had nothing to fear. Uh, so it's it's been uh, a remarkable journey for me.
2: Some of the dive operators that you talk about in your book, though, are seem much less ethical. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, some pretty horrific stories— uh, not not necessarily from the dive operators, but from other human beings, essentially torturing these animals. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that state of affairs? And and you know, it it seems to me like if someone treated whales or dolphins the way that some of these people treat sharks, I mean, there would be a huge uproar. And uh, and and it's just you know just totally cruel torture and yet there seems to be this culture of you know hey yeah let's go out and catch a shark and and you know we can we can maim it and and that would be cool
0: yeah I, i'm glad you're bringing up that issue because um you know at a shark tournament where the, all these animals are, are really t- tortured and butchered hacked to death many of them are still alive when, when they're being chopped up into pieces if that was being done to a dolphin um there would be a huge outcry. It would, it would never be allowed. Or if you had a lion tournament and went out and hunted lions, strung them up, and then chopped them up and and threw them away. But you can do that with sharks because of that perception of you know oh they're they're dangerous, they're killers, uh, we don't need them. And uh, I, you know one of the things it's my mission now to to change that perception uh, because it's just plain wrong. And and uh, sharks are extremely valuable to the marine ecosystem. They keep the system healthy, which is a whole another discussion about that. But uh, the the point is that uh, I think people need to take a, a second look at sharks and realize that, particularly with shark tournaments, where these sharks are are caught on the line, brought back. Um, they're just it's cruelty to animals and um i did uh make a, a film about uh, shark tournaments and uh, the video just sickens me to see what people do when they catch them and um you know I, I i just find it so ironic that the people who are in these shark tournaments and they like to pray portray themselves as the big brave hunter and killing the dangerous shark when in reality um, they're they're not killing a dangerous man-eating crazed animal at all. I, when I was in uh, South Africa, I met this woman Leslie Rocher, uh, who's a big shark advocate, and she's been diving with sharks for, uh, 15, 20 years. And in fact, what she did was she got on a drum line, which is a big hook, and uh, went down in the ocean in her bikini. And was swimming uh, with tiger sharks all around her. And then actually went out and uh, was touching the tiger sharks. And these, you know, she, she made the point to everyone, look, I'm, she said, I'm five feet, two inches tall. I'm barely 100 pounds. These sharks could rip me to shreds and they have no interest. And so this idea of catching a, a shark and showing your manhood uh, is just absurd.
2: So I, I want to end with with this discussion uh, that you just glossed over about the importance of sharks for our ecosystem, because I think that you know we we've gotten some pretty alarming uh, data recently just about how species in general in on the planet are going to be going extinct at record numbers in the future, and you know sharks are uh, just as much in danger. So tell us a little bit about you know why we should make sure that we try to prevent. Uh, what could potentially be the, the the great mass extinction of animals like sharks?
0: Yeah, well, uh, this was one of the things on my journey in writing the book uh, that that I, I learned quite a bit, and I have great respect now for, for all apex predators, whether they're on land or in the ocean. And uh, I think probably the best way to explain it is to bring up what happened in Yellowstone uh, National Park. There's a reason for bringing this up, because wolves are, like sharks, apex predators. And when they were removed from Yellowstone, it caused an ecological nightmare. And uh, the, uh, the elk were now in too much abundance, and they ate all of the young shoots. So they were devouring the landscape, and uh, various species were having trouble surviving. And Yellowstone brought back the wolf and the wolf had a dramatic impact on the Yellowstone National Park. They said that actually the river started to flow straighter and uh, the landscape improved and the trees came back and that brought back life and smaller predators and different animals. And the same thing can be seen in the oceans with sharks. Sharks are apex predators. You take them out of a marine environment, you cause absolute havoc best example is with the reef and um just to to step to the to the side the you know reefs uh, need uh certain types of fish to keep the algae from growing on on the rocks and uh you maybe may have heard of parrot fish for example so they scrape away at the at the uh at the reef and keep it clean keep the algae from growing well what happens if you take away the sharks then, what happens is that the other middle level predators, like grouper fish and uh, other items like that, will then, too many of them were going to eat the uh, parrot fish. They eat the parrot fish. There's no one there to clean the reef. So, the reef gets encrusted with algae and it dies. And that's just one simple example of where, if you take out sharks, you cause the whole system to collapse. And that's so that's true in any ecosystem. You can get away with taking out the middle parts. But if you take out the bottom or if you take out the top, you get a complete collapse. And so in the ocean systems, in the reef systems, the seagrass systems, the pelagic systems, sharks are there in every ecosystem. And they're absolutely necessary. And if you take them out, you hurt each one of those ecosystems. And again, the reef system is just one very simple example of how their impact uh, or their importance uh, cannot be underestimated.
2: Well, you make the case very compellingly. Um, William McKeever's book, Emperors of the Deep, Sharks, the Ocean's Most Mysterious, Most Misunderstood, and Most Important Guardians is available at booksellers everywhere. Bill McKeever, thank you so much for being on Inquiring Minds.
0: Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure to be here. And uh, with summer coming up, enjoy your summer and take a good long swim. You don't have anything to worry about.
1: All right, there. There were so many shark facts that like sort of sh- swam out. Sorry, pardon the pun. Um, <laughs> that still like strike me as being so weird. Like, I get that the ocean covers like two thirds of the planet, but I had no idea that like sharks are that old. Um, like evolutionary speaking, and. This number that you quoted off the top that you you both talk about still kind of strikes me as as crazy is that there's so many sharks that are killed by us compared to how much they um, impact us. It's like we're the real predators.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, absolutely. It, it would seem to me that if I were a shark and if I were able to, you know, process the fact that here is the human being, like that would be the most scary thing in the water and I'd swim as far away as I possibly could. Um, and to me, what was interesting, too, is is this i uh, this kind of idea that sharks are smarter than we think they are. Uh, you know, we always kind of assume that they are these kind of, uh, uh, you know, big big fish that with small brains. Uh, and that one of the things that we're learning is that they actually have much more complicated uh, social lives and, and sort of just in general, you know, the things that they do seem to indicate that they're much smarter than we thought they were. Um, not that that's inherently a, a reason to protect them. But I think that he is right that they are probably among the most misunderstood large creatures uh, on in our, in our planet.
1: There's still this feeling like I've gone to a few aquariums that when you show up into the shark habitat, even though there's there's great conservation material associated with it, there's still this kind of like, ooh, here comes the dangerous shark, which I think probably goes back to like the days of Jaws coming out on film like 40 years ago. Uh, I, it almost seems like we need to start dispelling this notion that these are dangerous creatures. Um, Or that they're menacing creatures in any way. And I know like we'll talk about their teeth all the time, which are fascinating. Like they have endlessly endless rows of teeth that just emerge in different shark species. But like I think our storytelling around sharks needs to change, which seems to be the main arc of of his point around what it's going to take to really conserve them.
2: Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I don't want to put all the blame on Jaws. I mean, and certainly shark enthusiasts and shark scientists have been trying to turn this around for, for many decades. It's interesting to see how a man like Merlin Tuttle could essentially change people's view of bats, right? From, uh, you know, these kinds of scary creatures to really cute and cuddly creatures that now are kind of the prize of Austin. Uh, and that there hasn't been someone who's been as successful at showing us what's really amazing about sharks and maybe that's because sharks aren't cute uh, but I think that sort of thinking about them and and ter- in the terms of like emperors of the deep I think it's a great title and this is their they're kind of majesty and the way in which they you know, kind of uh, observe things underwater the way in which if we can if we can learn more about the, their behavior, you know, in some ways, anthropomorphizing sharks might be a, a good way of getting people to see them less as predators and more as the amazing creatures that they are.
1: And, you know, I'm not usually a, a popular media has is impacting like our perception of something, but I do think with sharks, it is pretty pervasive and it goes well beyond Jaws. Uh So I think, like with bats, who have Batman, their protector. I know that's not what Batman's role is, but uh, I do think there would be some benefit to this uh, to this reframe. I don't know about the the emperor's frame because it's going to be hard to push whales off of that stage in terms of majestic creatures of the sea. But at the same time, like there's, I, I think we have to get a rid of this this notion that sharks are anything to be feared. Because they're really not, and the breadth of different types of sharks. Like when we think of sharks, we think of the great white shark, but thinking about like the hammerhead and the mako shark, and like the tiger shark, and there's you know a million different kinds of sharks out there. That's why there's a hundred million of them uh, being killed each other is because there's so many different types out there. I think that's going to be critical to success. But uh, I I applaud like trying to tell this story. I think it's a uh, it's a big thing to change, and it's one of those things that's going to take a, a concerted effort to read uh, to change the story uh, of of these creatures.
2: I mean, the other thing that I like too is that how he brings to light just the you know sheer uh, mutilation of sharks that happens, you know, in some of these contests, and and just how we treat them just so awfully. Like, and 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 you know, I think maybe highlighting the fact that they're not they're not predators of ours we we mistreat them much more than they mistreat us um, is another way of looking at it but if if any of you our listeners have uh, a new idea of how we should rebrand the shark let us know so that's it for another episode. I want to thank you for joining us for this installment of Inquiring Minds. And we'd also like to thank our supporters on our Patreon campaign, especially David Noel, Charles Blyle, Clark Lindgren, Michael Galgoul, Stefan Meyer Ewald, Kyle Rihala, Joelle, Jonathan Worsley, Yushi Lin, Eric Clark, Jordan Millar, Herring Chang, and Sean Johnson. You can visit our website at inquiring.show and you can support us at patreon.com inquiringminds and get an ad-free version of this show. Find us on Twitter at inquiringshow and Facebook and you can send us comments, feedback, future guest ideas or anything else you'd like to contact at inquiring.show.
1: Inquiring Minds is produced by Adam Isaac. Our music is provided by award-winning producer Rian Chien.
2: And we're your hosts. I'm Andre Viscontis and you can find me on Twitter at Andre Vis,
1: And I'm Kishore Hari at Science Quiche. See you next week.
2: struggles you're facing, from depression and anxiety to trauma and grief, BetterHelp can connect you with a professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. It's so convenient you can schedule secure video or phone sessions, as well as chat and text with your therapist. And anything you share is completely confidential. Best of all, it's a truly affordable option. Inquiring Minds listeners even get 10% off your first month with the discount code MINDS. So why not get started? Simply go to betterhelp.com minds and fill out a questionnaire to get matched with a counselor you'll love today.
0: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time.